When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and he and other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel, or that one really gets me tongue-tied, had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. That same fellow lived, and he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of this man were 895 years, and he died. When Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 996 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, we'll come back to this, but it doesn't end the same way with Noah because chapter 6, 7, 8, and most of 9 is a break before the genealogy picks up again, and the break is to describe what happens with Noah and the ark. But with that said, let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday, another chance to encourage one another, study your word, try to be less like ourselves and more like you. And Lord, we ask that you open to us this passage uh, that seems as if it, it, it would be a difficult thing to find something that perhaps has less to do with us, more to do with it. It's just, it's, it seems so distant. Lord, we ask that you would bring it near and contextualize for us uh, what we're looking at and what you're trying to say. Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. 
Chapter 5 of Genesis, you could say, if you're making notes, and this is not our outline, uh, though we'll touch on some of these things, but if Genesis 5 were to serve a purpose, I, I think you can at least find three, if not many, but it's obvious that it bears witness to man's value to God because we've got specific names mentioned here, recorded for ever. Uh, inscripturated in God's Word are the men of uh, names of these real men who lived real lives, even very long. Uh, second of all, it shows the line of Seth appointed. We call Seth the appointed, and it leads to Noah, we call the deliverer. That's their function. Uh, without this genealogy, we wouldn't be able to trace Adam to Noah because Noah's born through Seth's line, not through Cain's line that we looked at last week. And then third, it both demonstrates the reign of death, except for one, every one of those ended with the word died. But in the middle of all this, we've got this broken pattern conspicuously seen here as a clear case for an exemption. By the time we get to the end of chapter 5, we learn somebody didn't die. And there'll be another like that, a prophet. And then there'll be Jesus in the New Testament to make sure that it is available to everyone. So that's the function of this chapter. Uh, But the words, as we start out looking at some of these that come first, the words, this is the book, the generation of Adam, that indicates that while Moses is writing this, he's using sources that are not his own. This is the book. He's he's referencing a freestanding separate book where he finds these generations and copies them over into Scripture. Uh, that does not violate inspiration. Uh, same as Luke when he's putting together his gospel for most excellent Theophilus. We talked about him. He's citing all sorts of sources and meeting with other apostles who had eyewitness accounts. So Moses is doing no different here. Uh, he also ties the significance of this genealogy, this book of the generations of Adam, to the creation account in chapter 1, starting out almost like you're reading what you've already read. When he created them, he created them in his own image, in male and female. Uh, this kind of ties together the, the greater narrative. And then the words, uh, and called their name Adam. That means man. I don't know if we covered that in the weeks past, that Adam just means man. So uh, Adam here, and anybody else that's ever been named Adam, is really the only people that if somebody just walks up and says, hey, what's going on, man? You can say that literally because that's what his name means. Now, technically speaking, we say, well, this fella named Adam, which means man, and was the first man, and was male, and was the head of that family, bears the name of the species that follows from him. Adam and Eve were the first two. But you need to see for not just the second, but actually the third and maybe a fourth time so far, God's definition of humanity as originally created was not complete without a man and a woman. And it'd be a man and a woman which give us what we're reading here as far as the genealogies, the generations of man require a man and a woman. That's what we read. Um, At the end of chapter 4, Eve, she mentions all three of her sons. Uh, These are all born in God's image, as we saw. Uh, But here, only Seth is named. 
So after a great deal of detail regarding Cain's line, that was last week in chapter 4, we learned about agriculture, technology, the arts. None of that is said here in Seth's line. This line, Seth's line, seems to be more boring uh, than, than Cain's line because we're missing all the cutting up and the misbehaving and the man killing a guy for looking at him wrong and all that sort of thing. But that it's not here may mean uh, that that's the best we could say of Cain's line, but Seth's line is far more full of possibilities. We'll save that to the flood narrative. So it seems as if it's moving faster in order to slow down and talk more about something more important. Um, Adam fathered a son in his own likeness after his image means that the image and likeness of God that was given to Adam at creation is inherited by his sons. In other words, the image of God lives on. It didn't, that, that part of humanity wasn't broken with Adam and Eve's sin such that nobody else after them bore the image of God. No, they still do. Um, that that is, is present and it lives on. Now here's the repeating pattern that... Um, I said that we would make mention of, and we read over it nine times, basically. Uh, what you've got is five steps, and the first is the age of the individual patriarch when he fathers his firstborn, and then the second part of it is the remaining years of his life after the birth of his firstborn. Number three is an acknowledgement of having born other sons and daughters, and then number four, the total years of his life, add it all up, and... Uh, the two numbers equal the third. And then five, notice of his death. And that's where Enoch's situation stands out as the different one. Uh, the words uh, regarding Enoch, um, some commentators have described this as standing out as a single star in the night sky. If you can read past it and not spot it, keep reading. It's different. The biblical genealogies of the seventh installment are often especially favored, and this one falls on seven. Uh, The phrase walked with God is only said of Enoch and Noah. Did you know that? In the whole Bible, there's only two men that are said to have walked with God. Now, it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That didn't last. And then it also says that Abraham was the friend of God. That's a pretty big deal. And then it says that uh, Moses spoke with God face to face. He's the only one who's spoken to him in that way. And then we got Jacob, Job, and Jeremiah who wrestled with God. But in this case, this man Enoch, who didn't die, walked with God. And he was not. That means that Enoch disappeared from the face of the earth. Okay. What happened to him? An alien abduction. What do you think? God came and got him. I think he would qualify as an alien, wouldn't he? Except for his son who was human and not at all. An alien righteousness is what we call as our ticket to heaven. And righteousness is not ours. It's, it's someone else's. Now, please don't go sit down at lunch today and say that I said that Enoch was taken by aliens. One alien, and his name was God Almighty, okay? Some of this stuff is just to make sure, even with that extra hour of sleep, we're all still awake. So the paragraph stands out from the rest. Something uh, in that phrase can 
other places in Scripture be used euphemistically to mean that someone has died. But in this reference, we can't say that um, because in contrast to all the others that died, this one didn't. And it's also confirmed by the fact that when Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. There's your explanation as to why Enoch wasn't around anymore. So reference to God taking Enoch is found two other places in scriptures, not just here in uh, Genesis. So people talked about it for some time. And though Enoch and Elijah's experience are rare, Elijah's the only other guy that didn't die, he was taken from this world in a chariot of fire that came down and got him. Um, But either way, these two instances are indication that in some respects, the gates of hell did not prevail against God's work. So... A couple more things. Um, the case of Methuselah. I, I think I heard somebody go, oh, okay, a name I recognize. We know Methuselah as being the alleged oldest person that ever lived. That's whenever you see like an old tree or something, they might call it Methuselah, right? Um, something like that. So no special attention seems to be given to him for his long lifespan. And really, does it warrant it when it's only seven years longer than Jared? And if it's 900 or so years, what's seven years? I mean, are you really using birthday candles at that point anymore? What's seven more in addition to 960-some? It, it, it boggles the mind. And we're going to get to covering these challenging or otherwise known as stumbling blocks in this, this story. But Noah, he's the last man on the list. Um, though he's not the last one in the list. The list is paused for Noah's story, which takes up uh, several chapters. We don't pick up with the genealogy again until 928, where Noah's appearance breaks the pattern by mentioning more than one specific heir. All the others said they had a firstborn, then they had other sons and daughters, then you add up all the time and they died. Well, with this one, with Noah, his three sons... Now, that's important because those three sons are going to be the ones that carry on after all the world dies in the flood, except for Noah, their wives, and Noah's wife, eight of them in an ark. So the two biggest stumbling blocks in this chapter, and uh, sometimes I I enjoy bringing this up because I think it's helpful. Sometimes I I worry that it might be more problem than it's worth, uh, raising more questions to be answered than not. We'll at least acknowledge them. We won't get into these deep. But the two biggest stumbling blocks is that the period as a whole looks to be too short. If you add up this genealogy from Adam to Noah. And the reason why it appears to be too short is we've got other things in history that appear to be older. But if you're counting the Bible, it should know how far to go back to give us a date when Adam and Eve were living and when the flood happened. Um, That's... The first problem. The second one is the individual lifespans of these people seem to be a little long. Would you agree? 900 and some years doesn't sound normal. Well, for the first one, the period being too short, we've got a couple of tools we can use to try to figure things like this out um, to harmonize what the Bible says with other data that we know. Um, 
The first is common sense, and it, it, it should not be thrown out just because not everyone has it. Uh, sometimes common sense can be a problem if you've got maybe too much of it. You ever sit down with someone who's just got enough for everybody plus you? Well, that, that's one thing. Then there's present knowledge. These are things that we've learned maybe up until this morning uh, in the world in which we live and can be verified and, and considered to be trustworthy. But then we've got the record of Scripture within its context. You know, there are things that might help us in this very book understand why some things look odd in this part of this book. And out of those three, because we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, we're going to put most of our eggs in that last basket, the record of Scripture itself, though some would say, well, that's an internal argument. Well, we can apply external arguments to verify the internal argument, and then we're fine. But... The issue really has to do with, with, with big pieces of history, kind of like Jericho that seems to go back about 7,000 years rather than about the 4,000 years worth of math you get out of chapter 5. But one thing that would help immensely with this is the important note that just about all the biblical genealogies skip generations. And they're often gathered in multiples of either tens or sevens. Uh, we've read of a seven. This is a ten. When we pick up the rest of it from uh, Noah to Abraham, it'll be ten generations. We get to Ruth, and we trace Ruth to King David, ten generations. When we get to Matthew, it's going to be multiples of 14 generations, which are multiples of seven. It's kind of strange, but... Life doesn't typically work out neatly in tens or sevens, does it? So there are times from other places where we find out for sake of the poetic form they used to cover their not just personal generations, but also national generations. Sometimes they skip over people. And they break a rule that we would never break. And I don't know that anybody said this is a rule, but... Most modern people in this age, if I'm going to refer to my sons, you're going to think that it's either Michael, David, or Benjamin, right? But you would never think that I would call one of my sons one of my son's sons, which would be my grandson, or long enough, maybe my great-grandson. But in the Scriptures, they routinely call their son what really is a grandson or great-grandson. They'll skip generations for purpose of brevity and just they're all the sons of Jacob or the sons of Abraham, but they go down, 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 down. They're not as precise as the way we keep our records. So that right there with gaps in here could give you much longer amount of time that would match some of the other things. Now, hundreds of thousands of years, we're, we're not talking about the same thing anymore. We're talking about civilizations, digging them up, finding dates on them, and then seeing how it lines up with this right here. So that's the first end. The second one, the lifespans mentioned that are very long. So we see a plausible way that the short could not be so short as it seems, but can these long lives be as long as they actually seem to be? Well... For all intents and purposes, the best we can study with the best minds looking at it, we're supposed to see these age lengths as literal. They actually live that long. And if you're looking at other ancient descriptions of this period of time, 
They had kings that lived not just for 1,000 years, but for 10,000 years. Now, we're wondering whether or not they're exaggerating on that. But then again, they wonder if we're not exaggerating here. But it does seem to match other things we see. And it'll, for a space of time, go down to 100 years or so. And then it'll jump back up to people after the flood that are a few hundred years, but never back to 1,000 years. But then again, what does God say is life on his terms? A day is a thousand years, or a thousand years is one day. I think what we've got is a biblical theory of relativity going on here, perhaps. Different times, different situations. Um, it'd be a stretch for us to try to think of life with that long of a lifespan, but here in a few minutes we'll try it on and see what it feels like. All right. What is being said in Genesis 5 by looking at what we've got and seeing what sticks out? Uh, There are three generations out of these ten that seem to receive special treatment because they're unlike the others, especially Enoch. They're highlighted in one way or another, but the first is Adam. We already talked about the mention of a son in his own image and how the image of God lives on. But I think what is being said here with that is over against a pretty bleak picture since Genesis 3 with sin and death. And then in chapter 4, You've got a brother killing his brother, and then this guy named Lamech killing people basically for no reason. It looks as if everything's rolling downhill, gaining speed. It's getting worse and worse. But then you open this genealogy of not Cain's line, but Seth's line, and everything tapes on a more optimistic type of flavor, even saying the word dead after every person or died. So I think what you're looking at with Adam is that not only God's image lives on, but God's blessing lives on. Yeah, each one of them is going to die, but not until they've had a child that will live past them, who will have a child and who will have a child. And life goes on, although each of us will eventually die. So you've got God's image, but you've got God's blessing. The only thing that is said of each of these generations behind Adam is that they each had a child. And more sons and daughters. And remember, bringing our New Testament back, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, we're all sinners and we're all going to die, God chose to keep giving us life, even if on a temporary basis, until the space of time where we can decide whether or not to reject or accept Him is over. Each generation is given children. Each generation is given life in God's image, even though each generation dies. Now, I I know, and I try to be quick to always mention this, I, I know there are married couples who would love to have kids. And I know there are single individuals who would love to be married. But for reasons that a lot of times only God knows, that's it's not given to everybody. But it's given to most people. And um, there's, there's grace in there. Um, but he chooses to keep some of these questions, answers rather, to himself. I do think it's significant that each generation is mentioned as having a child or children. Other image bearers are born. Other than the man's age, that's all that's mentioned. Nothing like Cain's line with the arts, technology, agriculture, those are all good things. But the good thing in this passage seems to be the gift of life. Um, And then there's that second highlight. Let's just move to the next one. 
Enoch, seventh of the ten. So he has that, uh, that special spot, the seventh generation. And the last word of the first six descriptions, we've already discussed this pattern. We know it's coming. Adam, dot, 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 and he died. Seth, and he died. Enosh, and he died. Kenan, and he died. Mahalalel, there we go. He died. Jared, or Yared, if you're going to say it in the Hebrew pronunciation, the Y for the J, he died. But when it's Enoch's turn, Enoch walked with God, and he did not, and he was not, for God took him. So that's what's special about Enoch. I don't think we even blink at all that. Uh, a genealogy is basically a listing of obituaries, right? Death is part of life. The older you get, the more you seem like you're surrounded by it. And at the point in time where there seems like there's more in heaven uh, than you've got here on earth, you start feeling jealous and you, you want to go too if you're a believer. Uh, this, this is not rocket science. But out of the blue here, this guy who, who didn't die... Well, what is death? Death is the punishment for sin, the wage of sin. It's the curse that was pronounced upon the species. But I thought it might be fun to not try to think in terms of how long these people lived as, as far as, you know, what would we do if we had ten times our longest lifespan that we know of. Well, let's just suppose you're Adam or you're Eve You've been banished from the garden. There's a flaming cherubim making sure you don't get back to the tree of life. You're now a mortal, not an immortal, and you're going to die. How long do you think it took before Adam looked at Eve or Eve looked at Adam and said, I'm feeling all right. When's this death thing supposed to onset? Um, when's, When's the contagion level? You know, do we need to, you know... Stay away from each other if we feel bad. I mean, how does this work? How long do you think it took before they thought, well, we've just outrun it. Maybe he changed his mind. I mean, we pack a lot in a hundred years, but a thousand almost years? Maybe the serpent was right. You won't die. He just said that because, you know. But think how long of a leash these people have to run from that if I called it a spanking, you know how if you have two kids, you got one of each. You want your, your, your discipline now or do you want it later, right? Y'all are looking at me like no parent ever asks a question like that. You want it now or later? It's a test. It's not because parents get a strange delight in disciplining their children. They just want to know, is this the kind of kid that puts it off or takes care of it? Same as that study, you know, the marshmallow study they did with kids when people got smart enough to try to figure out kids and see what happened. Here's the deal. You can have one marshmallow right now, or I'll give you two later. Which do you want? Do you care what happened to the kids when they were grown? All the kids who ate their marshmallow right then worked for the kids that wanted their two later, (laughs) basically speaking. It's called... uh, you know, not instant gratification, but delayed gratification. I'm just thinking they've got a thousand years to live this life. Death is coming, but it would be a, almost a thousand years before Adam, who, if we're looking at the math here, was would have known Lamech, Noah's father. All that last week, just to see if anybody would come up and say, hey, uh, you're going to have to take that back next week. When I read through, I said, we've got basically 200 years 
based on the generations here. Well, that was in our terms of a generation being 25, 30 years or so. Their generations were different. They weren't having their children until they're, what, in their 70s in here? Did you, anybody notice that? Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Whoa, whoa, something's not right here. Um, maybe fertility was different back then. Maybe that atmosphere was different because it didn't rain yet. There's all kinds of X factors that we don't know about in order to solve that riddle. But is the curse really real? Are we really going to die? Yes, they did, except for one, which means that there is a way out. Now, some have postulated in maybe some kind of joking manner that Enoch was the one who snuck in and got by the guy with the flaming sword and took a bite from the tree of life, and God said, well, you know, you snuck in, you win, I'll take you home early. That's not what happened. What it says clearly is he walked with God. What do we suppose that means? To walk with God. It's only said of two people, Noah and Enoch. Almost as if it's just uh, of some intimacy that, that it does not happen. But it did. Now, it only happened twice in the Bible. We don't see that. Elijah's the other, that he walked with God. But what this does provide is hope. If Adam, in his different story, says there's hope, I'm giving you life at every generation, and then with Enoch, no, death doesn't take everybody, there's hope. When we get here, there's hope on our end that we could be among the number of those who escape death. So what does it mean that Enoch walked with God? Well, we're not given a lot of commentary. This is specifically what is meant by this passage when these words, it's not there. But we have seen indication of what it's like not to walk with God. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then they decided they were better suited to decide for themselves the difference between right and wrong, right? So that's not walking with God. That's, that's walking apart from God. I can walk on my own. I would think here that probably the best way, given what we've got so far, if all we've got in our box of things to consider is Genesis 1 through 5, I think walking with God would mean what God had intended to begin with. It doesn't mean that Enoch is perfect or without sin. It's just he wants to be with God, where Adam and Eve didn't want to, at least for space. Then they hid from him. Then they were banished from him. I don't think it should be that complicated, like, like 10 steps or 12 rules or whatever. It's just either they walked with God or, or they didn't. And we get to chapter 6. If you've got that open in, in, in your lap, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive. This is getting into that story of something going very wrong, whatever it is. And then the magic line, and when God saw that the thoughts of men were evil continually, so it's not just their actions, it's their thoughts and their intentions, and it's all wholesale evil. But then you got this guy who walks with God. No one's walking with God. This guy's walking with God. And then Noah's walking with God. So I think it's wanting to be near him. And after all, uh, just going back to something I heard in, in 
youth group a long time ago. I don't even remember who said it. But the, the, the man said, everybody has as much God as they want. Would you believe that's a correct statement? And Jesus came to earth. His father sent him. Die on the cross. Very costly gift in order to give you eternal life. So it's not like God is hiding from you or has said, I don't want anything to do with you. It's a wide open door. The only thing is to make the decision to accept it. Walk with God. You can have as much God as you want. He's available to you. Now, at the garden, flaming sword, stay out. I haven't paid for the workaround yet. But after the cross, price is paid. You can have as much God as you want. So if we don't walk with God, whose fault is that? It has to be our fault. It has to be our choice. Foreordained before the foundation of the world, we've been given the right to choose. That's another Sunday, another topic. But there it is, the third standout, Noah. Remember Lamech from Cain's line? He wanted revenge, didn't he? He made that song for his wives. One of them was named uh, Beautiful Face, and the other was named Beautiful Voice. I didn't tell you that last week, but we'll come back to that later. Um, seems as he might have been the first to, to intend to collect trophy wives. Um, we told you he was, an, he was a fine, upstanding thug. Um, so what does it mean Noah or Enoch walked with God? Well, what's Noah's situation? Lamech from Cain's line wanted revenge. But when we're listening to what is said about Seth, it's different than what was said at, at Lamech's birth and what was said afterward. Look at verse 28. When Lamech, different Lamech, different lines, had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed... This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So it looks as if Noah, at his birth, it's for somehow he's to bring relief. The, the, the father, Lamech, not the other Lamech who wanted revenge. This Lamech wants relief. He knows that the ground is cursed. And that's what he wants a fix for. Because they've worked hard with their hands and in painful toil. What could we say about that? Um, I think it's also a ray of hope. I think somewhere tied in with this guy named Noah, there's something to look forward to. He's going to be different than the rest. The the guy's going to have... what do they say in all those leadership books about building big businesses and being successful and all that, that one of the big, huge things that, that makes or breaks that whole thing is your ability to keep moving in the face of failure or rejection. How you deal with rejection is whether or not you'll get your product into millions of hands, whatever else. Try building a boat for a flood when it's never rained. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's going to be 24-hour news coverage of the world's biggest nut job, right? 
he's going to have something special. And really what he's going to do is he's going to save the population from God's reset. That's all later. But I think we've got enough, if you take all of that, and then you take what we've studied so far, to say that at this point, right before we get into to Genesis chapter 6, that there's two ways to look at the world. And it started in the garden. And God said, I got a tree, you can't have it. You're going to have to look at the world, including that tree, through what I tell you as the one who created it all and has authority over it all. Then comes the snake. No, you don't have to look at the world that way. In fact, he's holding out on you. You could be a better person having this that he doesn't want you to have. Two different ways, right? And ultimately, Eve chose her own way. She took the devil's input, and she judged between God and him and said, well, I like the devil's way better. But that's the way it's been. And as we've looked through that you know, family tree, you got the stump down here, Adam and Eve, and then you've got these three branches that come up from there, uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Well, Cain killed Abel, chopped that branch right out. And then you've got Cain's line, and we studied that last week, with all these inventions that would help the world out. We're thankful for them. Uh, arts, technology, agriculture, all those things. But as far as the line of salvation and restoration, that's going to belong to Seth. And it's going to go through Noah and bottleneck down to those eight people again, everybody else. Everybody on that list is still alive. We just read through. We're going to perish in that flood. And then from that on, we go into all these generations, Tower of Babel, then Abraham, and Abraham, the Hebrew people, all the way down to Jesus. So there's your... You know, tree, if you're thinking of it in your head. What does that mean as far as Cain's line, the Cainites, and their contribution to the redemption of the world? Nothing. That limb actually withers up and falls off after the flood. It's just this one line of Seth, and then through Seth you get this fellow Noah who's used of God to save the world. Have we got a a microcosm of salvation in this story of the flood? I think so. Two ways to look at it. On your own or walk with God. I'd like to tell you that you get more options as we go through to Revelation, the end of this big book of 66, but it's, it's always those two options. Two ways to look at the world. Your own eyes... You're the judge, or God's eyes, he's the creator, he's your judge. So the pattern is the same. The pattern holds fast. There's a curse, people are dying, but there is this ray of hope. It can be overcome, and it seems the lesson from chapter 5 is the way to overcome the curse of death is to walk with God. And to walk with God means that one day you're not... He takes you. You're with him. Everybody's wondering where'd they go? What do we do? How do we figure out how old he lived or any of these other things? I'm sure there's a line there waiting, a long one to answer all those questions. But I think we've had enough for today. We'll wrap this up. We'll pray. We'll sing. We'll go eat. We'll go home. Some come back for a wana. It's the Lord's day, and I hope it's a blessing even further from this. 
And I hope you'll uh, pack one of those shoe boxes too, right? How many? Ten. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for another day in your house. And Lord, for this genealogy, we thank you for Adam and for Enoch and for Noah. We thank you for these other men too. Other men who we share DNA all the way back to when you spoke all this into existence. Lord, might we take home these, these patterns, what seems to be shouted in some places, hinted at others, matter of fact, and plainly in other passages. But Lord, the way to life is to walk with you. And Lord, would you see fit to pull us into your arms, save us from our sins, wash us clean, and use us to gather others who will walk with you. We thank you for our time together today. And may you see uh, these things become fruitful. And may you receive the glory. And we ask this in your name. Amen.